Hello, world. I'm Roger Corville, and this is For the Hope's Daily Audio Bible, where we read through the scriptures conversationally, talk about the truth claims of Christianity, and learn to fall more in love with Jesus and the people in his world. You ready? Let's roll. Welcome. Do you know why Jesus had to be both fully God and fully human? So here's your pop quiz for the day. The following two Christological heresies are on opposite sides of each other. One taught that he was God, but he wasn't actually human and only appeared to live a physical existence. And the other taught that he was human, but not actually fully divine. Which one is Docetism? Which one is Arianism? And which one is John addressing in Second John? <laughs> hey, Hopeful, welcome to For the Hope's listener-supported daily audio Bible where we read through every word of God's revelation of himself first and consider our own life and work stories in light of that, including an issue that we've been talking about for the last week or so, that one way false teachers do their thing is to use Christian words while denying biblical definitions of those words, and nothing is more central to this than asking if we have the real Jesus or a made-up Jesus. Hey, and by the way, yes, I'm. if it sounds different, I'm recording this from the road. In fact, I'm sitting in a car right now, so I love you enough to just keep after it. Hope you're doing great today. The early church fathers affirmed that Jesus is both fully God and fully human. In fact, he has to be both, and we're going to get to that in our closing reflection. Docetism is the heresy that is denial of Jesus' human nature, while Arianism argued that Jesus was a created being and denied his full divinity. Now, I will let you listen to Second John as our New Testament segment today and see if you can tell which one John is addressing. Second John chapter 1, which is the only chapter. The elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that remains in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth, in keeping with a command we have received from the Father. So now I ask you, dear lady, not as if I were writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commands. This is the command, as you have heard it from the beginning, that you walk in love. Now many deceivers have gone out into the world. They do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you don't lose what we have worked for, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who does not remain in Christ's teaching, but goes beyond it, does not have God. The one who remains in that teaching, this one has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your home and do not greet him, for the one who greets him shares in his evil works." Though I have many things to write to you, I don't want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. 
The children of your elect sister send you greetings. And my friends, that is uh, one very short book, a scant 12 verses long, or 13, I should say. And note this, you probably caught it. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. They do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. That is docetism. But notice what he goes on to say. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your home and do not greet him. For the one who greets him shares in his evil works. My friends, that doesn't mean that we don't be nice to heretics and strangers and unbelievers. It means to take care not to treat them as a believer. Right? We are still ministers of reconciliation, and that's always the goal. We just don't pretend that they are Christians. And I say that because oftentimes people say, and it gets a little messier and more subtle, sometimes people say they believe Jesus, but they functionally don't really live as if he's fully God and fully human. But that's deeper than we can get to today. Hey, as we turn to our Old Testament segment, and by the way, we're going to come back to that whole docetism thing because there's an important point to, make, to be made. Um, but turning to our Old Testament segment today, we close out the book of Genesis, chapters 49 and 50. And let's just get after it. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather around, and I will tell you what will happen to you in the days to come. Come and listen together, sons of Jacob. Listen to your father Israel. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my strength and the firstfruits of my virility, excelling in prominence, excelling in power, turbulent as water, you will not excel, because you got into your father's bed and you defiled it. He got into my bed. Simeon and Levi are brothers, their knives are vicious weapons. May I never enter their council, may I never join their assembly, for in their, their anger they kill men, and on a whim they hamstring oxen. Their anger is cursed, for it is strong, and their fury is cursed, for it is cruel. I will disperse them throughout Jacob, and scatter them throughout Israel. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the necks of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. Judah is a young lion. My son, you return from the kill. He crouches. He lies down like a lion or a lioness. Who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah or the staff from between his feet until he whose right it is comes and the obedience of the peoples belongs to him. My friends, I'm just going to read that again because that's totally messianic right there, right? The scepter will not depart from Judah or the staff from between his feet until he whose right it is comes and the obedience of the peoples belongs to him. He ties his donkey to a vine and the colt of his donkey to the choice vine. He washes his clothes in wine and his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his white teeth are whiter than milk. Zebulun will live by the seashore and will be a harbor for ships, and his territory will be next to Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey, lying down between the saddlebags. He saw that his resting place was good and that the land was pleasant, so he leaned his shoulder to, to bear a load and became a forced laborer. Dan will judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel, 
Dan will be a snake by the road, a viper beside the path that bites the horse's heels so that its rider falls backward. I wait for your salvation, Lord. Gad will be attacked by raiders, but he will attack their heels. Asher's food will be rich, and he will produce royal delicacies. Naphtali is a doe set free that bears beautiful fawns. Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine beside a spring. Its branches climb over the wall. The archers attack him, shot at him, and were hostile toward him, yet his bow remained steady, and his strong arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob, by the name of the shepherd, the rock of Israel, by the God of your father who helps you, and by the Almighty who blesses you with blessings of the heavens above, blessings of the deep that lies below, and blessings of the breasts and the womb. The blessings of your father excel. The blessings of my ancestors and the bounty of the ancient hills. May they rest on the head of Joseph, on the brow of the prince of his brothers. Benjamin is a wolf. He tears his prey. In the morning he devours the prey, and in the evening he divides the plunder. These are the tribes of Israel, twelve in all, and this is what their father said to them. He blessed them, and he blessed each one with a suitable blessing. Then he commanded them, saying, I am about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my ancestors in the cave in the field of Ephron the Hittite, and the cave is in the field of Machpelah near Mamre in the land of Canaan. This is the field Abraham purchased from Ephron the Hittite as burial property. Abraham and his wife Sarah are buried there. Isaac and his wife Rebekah are buried there, and I buried Leah there. The field and the cave in it were purchased from the Hittites. And when Jacob had finished giving charges to his sons, he drew his feet into the bed, took his last breath, and was gathered to his people. Then Joseph, leaning over his father's face, wept and kissed him. He commanded his servants who were, who were physicians to embalm his father, so they embalmed Israel. They took forty days to complete this, for embalming takes that long, and the Egyptians mourned for him seventy days. When the days of mourning were over, Joseph said to Pharaoh's household, If I have found favor with you, please tell Pharaoh that my father made me take an oath, saying, I am about to die, you must bury me there in the tomb that I made for myself in the land of Canaan. Now let me go and bury my father, then I will return. So Pharaoh said, Go and bury your father in keeping with your oath. Then Joseph went to bury his father, and all Pharaoh's servants, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt went with him, along with all Joseph's family, his brothers and his father's family. Only their dependents, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. Horses and chariots went up with him. It was a very impressive procession. And when they reached the threshing floor of Atad, which is across the Jordan, they lamented and wept loudly. And Joseph mourned seven days for his father. When the Canaanite inhabitants of the land saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, This is a solemn mourning on the part of the Egyptians. Therefore the place is named Abel Mizraim. It is across the Jordan. So Jacob's sons did for him what he had commanded them. They carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave at Machpelah near the, in the field near Mamre, which Abraham had purchased as burial property from Ephron the Hittite. And after Joseph buried his father, 
he returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said to one another, If Joseph is holding a grudge against us, he will certainly repay us for all the suffering we caused him. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before he died, your father gave a command, saying, Say this to Joseph, Please forgive your brothers' transgression and their sin, the the suffering they caused you. Therefore, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when their message came to him. His brothers also came to him, bowed down before him and said, We are your slaves. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. Therefore, don't be afraid. I will take care of you and your children. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph's fa- Joseph and his father's family remained in Egypt, and Joseph lived 110 years. He saw Ephraim's sons to the third generation. The sons of Manasseh's son Maker were recognized by Joseph. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will certainly come to your aid and bring you up from this land to the land he swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Joseph made the sons of Israel take an oath. When God comes to your aid, you are to carry my bones up from here. And Joseph died at the age of 110. They embalmed him and placed him in a coffin in Egypt. And that wraps up the book of Genesis. My friends, as sinners, we are unable to realize God's purpose for our lives through our own effort, right? Only God's intervention brings promise to our lives, right? Our salvation is God's work, which means that it's a good thing that he promised and delivered on the promise of a rescuing Messiah, As you heard, this came through the line of Judah, right? Reuben as the firstborn was right out because he slept with his father's concubine. And then the next two, Simeon and Levi, were disqualified because they slaughtered that whole village on account of the rape of their sister Dinah. And all all I can say is that it's a good thing that God keeps his promises despite our evil. (laughs) And that's what makes grace so amazing. My friends, our wisdom segment today is short and pithy. This is Proverbs 30, verses 18 and 19. Three things are too wondrous for me. Four, I can't understand. The way of an eagle in the sky. The way of a snake on a rock. The way of a ship at sea. And the way of a man with a young woman. I've always loved that. Who can explain a young dude in love? Yeah, nobody. Hey, for our reflection segment today, uh, I want you to remember, a root problem is that false teachers use Bible words without using Bible definitions, or as happens often, and may have even been the case with Docetus, we read something into the Bible. Right? It's a very common challenge in progressive Christianity. Oh, my God wouldn't say somebody would have to go to hell because God is a God of love. There's an example, right? So 
what we heard John here was a a heresy about Christ, Christological heresy. And he, he addressed, basically, in so many words, the error of docetism, which was denial that Jesus had an actual body, that he had something, you know, that, that heresy was that something else was there and he only appeared to die on the cross. But the opening question that I asked was, why did Jesus have to be both fully God and fully human? Well, here's Norm Geisler, a little chunk out of his explanation about docetism. He says this, The denial of Christ's humanity is as serious an error as to deny his deity. If Jesus is not both God and human, he cannot mediate between God and humans. 1 Timothy 2.5 Salvation involves reconciliation of human beings to God. 2 Corinthians 5 And this is only possible if God becomes human. Anselm, and I'll interject, of Canterbury, made this point in his famous apology apology in the 11th century, Cur Deus Homo, which was why the God-man. To deny Christ's true humanity is to deny the basis of our reconciliation to God. It is for this reason that the early church condemned docetism. My friends, put another way, humanity's sin was an infinite affraction infraction against this infinitely good and righteous God. So God had to be fully human to take our place, to pay that price. But to pay that price, he had to be fully God to pay it infinitely. I love you, my friends. I hope the rest of your weekend is awesome. Tomorrow is something that is timely. I'm not going to talk about politics, but I'm going to tell you my abortion story. I love you. Amen. Amen.